One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing today? It, I'm good, Ryan. It feels like not that long since we did the last one. Are we Are we back to consistent episodes? Uh, n- no. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, there we go. <laughs> we, we've had a bit of like a reshuffle when it comes to management, I suppose, if that if that's a fair way of putting it. Like we've had a management reshuffle, cabinet reshuffle. No, I think um, that's good. I think that's a good way of putting it. We've changed some things around and what we're trying to do, because there is only two of us and we're trying to get so much out there that we just got to a point where we were getting ourselves into a stalemate because we're trying to do everything. So we've changed things around. Uh, you're going to hear me sort of hosting the majority of like the episodes as we go, uh, whilst James focuses more on pushing social media stuff and getting articles written out for you guys to read alongside our episodes. So, yeah, we're, we're trying to sort of like put aces in our places a bit. And, um, yeah, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So you, you're hearing I've, me a lot more. <laughs> I've really dropped the ball on articles as well. And I'll tell you for why. It's because I've been focusing on like video content, which uh, at my job, if anyone at my job listens, I think they do. Um, that's sort of the direction we're going, and I think it's the right direction. I don't think anyone likes reading anymore. I don't no. like reading. I think it's fucking boring. So video content is, is the way, which I, you're in the right place for it because that's what we're doing at the minute. That's what we're, we're moving into. Um, I saw a fantastic sort of uh, meme, or I think it was a TikTok, because I'm now w- watching more TikToks now that we're on it. And it was yeah. saying Gen Z is going to watch Oppenheimer and half the screen is Oppenheimer. The other half is like someone playing the all the way up game. Yeah, <laughs> or like, yeah, yeah, or Subway Surfers or something. Yeah, and it's like because they yeah. can't fucking, the attention span is just not there to watch a it's film. Mad, it's, it's mad though that if you put like a video by itself without Subway Surfers, 
I, my chances of me scrolling are quite high. If you stick that and I'm watching it and I'm watching you like a hawk, like how many coins are you getting? Yeah. It's mad. Whoever thought of that format is a fucking genius. It's, it's it's silly, isn't it? Like even watching, you know, people do GTA 5 and they're just like high up in the sky driving cars. Just like, you yeah. know, uh, it's, yeah, it's weird. It's weird how that works. Because our, our attention, our attention spans. spans are fucked. Yeah. Ofcom um, released a report. This, this is really nerdy, but Ofcom released a report earlier and I was reading it about how news is being consumed nowadays by like generations and like TikTok for kids is like where it's at. They don't do anything else. Yeah. Uh, BBC News is falling. Facebook is falling. Like it's all video platforms. Like Facebook mm. videos, kind of, but TikTok, YouTube, uh, Instagram Reels, yeah. which I think is really, really, really interesting. No, I, I think you're right, and it, you, the way you've put it, no one really wants to read anymore. Like it's just it even, fucking boring. Do you know? You remember it got to a phase where at the top of an article it would tell you how long this read ought to be, and you'd be like, five minutes? Nah, <laughs> I won't you read see, that. I think I'm odds with a few people about this because some web pages do it, and I've been explained why they do it, and they're like, oh, that's oh, this is an okay idea. For me, if I see something and it tells me how long I'm going to be reading it for, that's a turn off. I'm like, I don't want to spend my time doing that. Whereas if you yeah. like hook me in the first paragraph, I you can make it ten minutes and I'll read it. Yeah. Like, don't tell me how long it's going to be. Like, I'll decide that when I'm reading it. Well, speaking of hooking people, I don't know if we're successfully doing it this episode. Because uh, <laughs> they're, like, waiting, going, hold on a minute, aren't we supposed to be talking about this this woman and we're just talking about attention spans of younger oh, people? Oh, it's just, it's just the pre-episode ramble. I think people know now to fast-forward to, like, five, ten minutes in and... Was it you that brought up the whole thing, just like podcast bros, and it's like 50 minutes in? Right, should we get started now? <laughs> it, it, it's so true. We shouldn't do it, but we do. It's just nice to have a chat, isn't it? It's a bit informal. Anyway, fuck it then. Let's get on with the episode. I don't even know who this episode's about. I think you messaged me the other day, but I've completely forgotten. So oh, yeah, I'm I... with the listeners on this one. I, I'm clueless. Well, I literally wrote this in two days, right? So this is a very quick turnover. This is one of the quickest episodes I've ever written. <laughs> Well, um, let's see how it turns out. Well, because I promised that we'd have another episode out before our fourth birthday, and I just have not, I've just been quite busy, so I've never got around to it. So here it is. So without further ado, let's get into it. Today, uh, we are talking about a woman called Miriam Rodriguez Martinez. Now, uh, this, I believe, is the first ever episode we have set in Mexico. That's so exciting. Welcome I know. to Mexico. Uh, try, I, yeah, I genuinely. That's considering like cartels and stuff. I feel like we should have done Mexico, but that's really cool. Yeah, and cartels are involved in this episode. Oh, which is exciting. exciting! Let's crack on. I watched like three um, episodes of Narcos, so I'm I'm well informed. I I watched the shit out of the original Narcos with Pablo Escobar, and I'm now currently going through Narcos Mexico, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Um, I it's fascinating. Right. My issue is when I watch something that I need to focus on, usually I'm doing something else at the same time. Like I might be playing a video game, I might be doing work, I might be doing something. And it's so hard to read subtitles while trying to do something else. So I can't watch it because I have to read at the same time. Like so, I find it very difficult to focus on one I was, thing. I was watching Narcos Mexico last night while cooking dinner and I had my headphones on. And whilst um, you know all the Americans and English speakers are on, I'm just sort of preparing. And then all of a sudden I have to just stop what I'm doing and stare at yeah. my laptop whilst the rest of like 90% of the show is going on in Spanish. Yeah, um, I mean, just learn Spanish, I think, would be the easier way. I have, I'm I'm at a phase where like I feel if I watch it enough, I will get the grips of most things that are being said, you know? They say, they say like, 
if you're trying to learn a language, watch, like, for me, The Office. I've seen The Office, like, 30 times all the way through. Like, it's crazy how much I've seen it. Watch it in a different language because you already know full well what's happening. So if you mm. watch it in a different language, you're more likely to pick up, like, what they're saying and what's going on because you can, like, attribute it to the setting, which I think is really interesting. Again, we've gone on a tangent before we've even started. I literally haven't even started my opening paragraph. Uh, but pre-warning, uh, because this is set in Mexico, there are some Spanish names in this episode, which I have learnt whilst sort of... Uh, once I've written an episode, I like to read through it so it's not, you know, not too cold for me. I'm fairly familiar with what I'm about to say. Um, it's incredibly hard to read Spanish words without trying to do a Spanish accent. Just do it. Do a Spanish accent. <laughs> and I'm very aware that uh, a good friend of mine whose partner is half Mexican is going to be listening to this and is going oh, so to show her. Ridiculed. Oh, but yeah. It, but, I'm, but it's like yeah. when you go on holiday, isn't it? And you want to say thank you. Like, do you proper go with the accent or you like, gracias? Because like, I find it weird when you say like Spanish gracias. or any other language words in an English accent. It's like that scene in Inglorious Bastards when... Uh, Grab oh, yeah. Pitt's trying to do an Italian <laughs> accent, but he's just very American. Yeah. <laughs> what a film. Anyway, anyway, this is a really good tangent because we start off with films. Now, in January 2008, a movie came out in the cinema starring Liam Neeson. He'd been quiet of late, with his most recent blockbuster appearance being in Batman Begins in 2005. Now, he expected this role to be a small side project, but what he didn't bank on was it becoming a hit and establishing him as an action star. That movie was Taken, a movie where Neeson plays a father whose daughter is kidnapped while holidaying in France. Being a retired CIA operative, he uses his specific set of skills to hunt down the kidnappers. He manages to get hold of the perpetrators, where we get this now iconic quote. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. That quote is now in the movie history books as one of the coldest monologues delivered. It's so badass. It's so good. Like, it, I can hear it. The fact that he took this it. as a side project, I didn't know that. Like, I thought this was one of his big movies. Yeah, well, this thing, right, Liam Neeson was sort of known to be a rom-com-y kind of guy. Um, I mean, wasn't was an action actually, star yeah he's in love actually right so he's a very serious actor and then all of a sudden he's in like batman begins and we're starting to see a bit more of an athletic bit more physical liam neeson um although he had played like a scott like in a film years before when he was a bit younger but when he was in Taken, he kind of, yeah, he's he was one of those, you know, like when you're sort of stardom starting to die down now. He's getting old. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. not getting the big roles anymore. He's not that, like, young, good-looking heartthrob. He's now, I think he almost, he invented this sort of, like, old man takes on everyone. He's an old, like, John Wick style. I mean, it's a fucking cool film. Like, I haven't seen it in many years, but I could tell you exactly almost scene for scene what happens because I've seen it that many times. It's the The sequels were like meh but yeah, the, the original 
was I really, really like the bit where he's like he's he's hooded in the van and he's literally counting the seconds before yeah. like he turns left and then turns right and you're like oh, that's a really so clever. cool guy a little side of this just before we carry on sorry there's a, a case in America at the minute and I've completely forgot the fucking name even though we're writing about it in terms of news um, this woman went missing on the side of a highway and she said that she saw uh, like a young boy and then as she went to help the young boy she got like kidnapped or whatever and then like two days later she turns up at her house battered and bruised she walks through the front door and says I've just been dropped off and everyone's like, oh my God, this is awful. You've been kidnapped, like something's happened to you and then they've dropped you off. But the theory is now that she wasn't actually kidnapped because the day before she got kidnapped, she Googled the film Taken. So he'd clearly like been researching how to sort of disappear and what happens when you get kidnapped. Whoa. And then I, I don't want to like, I don't know, commit fucking defamation or whatever but it's looking like they were trying to get donations to some sort of gofundme page it's really funny she might have been kidnapped i don't know but two days later she walked through her front door and the day before you're researching taken yeah that's mm, that's a bit sus it's funny i'm sure people know what the story is it's big in america at the minute i've completely forgotten the name though now this quote inspired many a conversation between parents questioning what they would do if their child was kidnapped could they go full liam neeson and hunt down their kidnappers now the answer is almost always a big fat no but one woman did just that so without further ado let's talk about miriam rodriguez martinez the baddest mum in mexico now for us to carry on we need to understand the world where we will be inhabiting in this story we are in mexico a land where the colour TV was invented, where the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs first made impact. I saw that. I saw that scowl straight away from you. <laughs> the coloured TV was invented in Mexico. Believe it or not, in the UK we know of John Logie Baird as being the inventor of coloured TV. Um, apparently, there, I don't know the science, but apparently, yes, he invented a type of colour TV with like um, Technicolor which is where you get the Wizard of Oz and things like that. But apparently the uh, Mexican guy, uh, Guillermo Gonzalez Camarena, invented what we now use, sort of like going forward from there on, the colour wow. TV. And in fact, it's apparently something to do with like his invention was actually used in one of the space rockets that went up into like to the moon or something. So very good impact to Mexico. Well done. That's um, a cool fact. Mexico is also the country where the asteroid that wiped out the dinosaurs first made impact. It is also a land with the largest pyramid in the world, dwarfing the Pyramid of Giza. Not many people know that. That's fun. No, they did like their pyramids, though. They did like their pyramids. And uh, a land with such a rich and diverse history that today 69 different languages are spoken around Mexico. Most of those are indigenous, uh, old, old, old languages, which is really cool. That's so interesting. Yeah, it's a beautiful country that attracts around 40 million visitors a year. But it's not all sunshine, beaches and spring break. Mexico has a big problem. One that has been trying to deal with for over half a century. Cartels. Now, to give you a brief history, in the 1880s, many Chinese immigrants were coming to the west coast of the USA. But America, being America, didn't like too many Chinese people coming in and banned the many of them entering. Many Chinese immigrants instead settled in the Mexican state of Sinaloa. There they introduced locals to opium for the first time. 
That's not to say that nobody there had ever heard of it before, but the Chinese were legitimately experts in terms of opium. In fact, the British started a war with China over opium. That's how good they are at making it. I mean, that makes sense as well, because it's one of them that once you've had opium, you just want more opium. So having a war about it is... One day we may cover the opium wars between Britain and China. It's absolutely crazy that like Britain was just a narco state that was fucking pushing opium on Chinese people, being like, you will buy this fucking dope <laughs> and you will yeah. fucking enjoy it. And it got to a point where like so much opium was being used in China that China had to like outright almost ban it because they were like, no, the people here are so fucked up, we can't do anything. <laughs> and Britain was like, you will buy more. <laughs> I mean, the drug business is never going to go out of business. And that's something we can sort of talk about a little bit later. Quickly, transportation of opium to across the border to the States became popular. America was in a weird place at that time too. Prohibition was beginning to come into the minds of puritanicals. But by 1914, narcotics, they weren't regulated. So the Harrison Narcotics Tax Law was introduced. The intention was to make money off of the lucrative trade and attempt to regulate the usage. Instead, most of the trade went underground and more opium was coming into the country. By 1920, prohibition began and America went dry. Seeing a huge business opportunity, Mexicans working alongside American gangs were smuggling alcohol into the country. See our episode on, um, oh, what's his face? Who's the guy from Chicago? Al Capone, there you go. Mm, Good throwback. Good, thank you. When Prohibition ended in 1933, their business model collapsed and they went all in smuggling opium, cocaine and heroin. They did this by taking advantage of a deal made between the USA and Mexico in 1942 called the Bracero Program. It encouraged Mexicans to come over to the USA to work on farms with very little visa regulations. That meant that Murica got cheap labour and Mexicans got to work. Now, these gangs were forcing workers crossing the border to be mules for them since they weren't checked on going to work. But by 1964, their deal was off and Mexicans who had worked across the border for decades now had a jobs market completely stripped away. The drug pushers decided to get into human trafficking to, quote, help these poor people unable to make money. They would smuggle them across the border so they would work and then they had to take drugs with them as an offering. Now, these small bands of people evolved into what we now call cartels. Now, I I do think it's actually because I looked this up and I was going to write very similar to the mafia. And then I googled it and actually they're nothing like the same at all. Mafias is like a family or families that sort of like operate a thing. A cartel is literally like a, a group of small gangs and businesses that choose to work together and they can just disband pretty much at any point. And that's why they're so like notoriously difficult to sort of get hold of because they just make new ones all the time. Yeah. Now, one of the OG cartels was the Guadalajara cartel founded by Miguel Angel Felix Gallardo in the 80s. And if you've seen Narcos Mexico, then you know exactly who I'm talking about. I'd also like to point out I said that name first time and I nailed it. Yeah, you did very well. I was going to say something, but you did very well. <laughs> now, for the mar- for the most part, The Guadalajara cartel dealt in illegal exports and marijuana, but by the late 80s and 90s they evolved again. Down in Colombia, Pablo Escobar and other cartels in the region were finding it more and more difficult to smuggle cocaine into the States. Going across the Caribbean was not a viable option anymore, so they decided to go over land, and Mexico with the Guadalajara cartel was the perfect partner. 
Problem is, when one criminal gang is prospering, another is looking to get in on that. And an explosion of cartels started to show up, such as the Tijuana Cartel, the Sinaloa Cartel, the Juarez Cartel, and the Gulf Cartel, who operated in the east of Mexico, where our story is based today. Now, aptly named, since the region it operates in is on the Gulf Coast, the Gulf Cartel is one of the oldest in the country, established in the 1930s by a man named Juan Nepo Messina Guerra. Now, they started off by smuggling contraband alcohol across the border, but when Prohibition stopped, they moved into marijuana, establishing themselves at the Matamoros Cartel. Now, named after the city that Guerra was born in, Guerra was getting interested in politics and made many a political ally to help with his criminal work, which immediately is a bad idea. Like, don't get politicians to get involved, because then it gets even harder to get rid of it. Yeah, it's yeah. a big thing. It's a big fucking problem <laughs> that will carry on. By the 80s, Guerra had passed on the torch to his nephew, Garcia Abrego, who changed up the formula and added cocaine to their catalogue. Under Abrego, the Matamoros cartel saw its most successful years, managing to secure a deal with the infamous Cali cartel from Colombia to smuggle cocaine. Their size and influence grew to encompass most of the Gulf region of Mexico, which prompted a name change to Cartel del Golfo, the Gulf Cartel. Now, researching the Mexican cartels has been absolutely fascinating, and I could easily go into the history of all of these gangs and all of their political machinations, talking about who killed who and who overthrew what. But this episode is not about their history. So, to sum it up, Garcia Abrego ran the Gulf Cartel until his arrest and deportation in the States in 1996. A series of infighting between people wishing to take his place came around. It was a bloody period for the cartel, which eventually resulted in a man named Osiel Cardenas Guillén taking over, when he murdered his friend and co-leader of the cartel, Salvador Gomez Herrera. This gave Osiel the nickname Mata Amigos, which means friend killer. Which is a really cool nickname. I mean, it is, unless you're one of his friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, don't worry, bro, you're my friend. It's not run. Uh, yeah, I don't think. <laughs> now, Osiel was a paranoid man. Knowing that their cartel operated on the East Coast, primarily in the region of Tamaulipas, which is a border state with the US, meant that he and his cartel were high priority targets for the US border forces. Now, to combat this, he hired a bunch of Mexican special forces to work as security for him. Now, these guys, they're American trained. They are highly efficient at their jobs. They are really fucking good Mexican special forces. Mm. But the problem they had was that the Mexican military could not pay them enough. Like, and this seems to be the majority of the problem in all the research I've done with, like, why do people join cartels, blah, blah, blah. The majority of it is they pay really well and no one else yeah, pays as money. good as them. Yeah. So when the cartel came in with an offer almost tripling their salary, they immediately jumped ship. And this encouraged many others to desert, forming the armed wing of the Gulf cartel called Losetas. Now, Losetas were ruthless in their operations, skilled at pulling off high-risk jobs with a high level of efficiency, and they were the Gulf cartel's enforcers. Eventually, Gulf leader Osiel was arrested by Mexican authorities and held in prison. He was able to maintain some level of authority over the cartel, but Los Cetas were getting itchy feet. They were with the Gulf cartel because of Osiel, and with him gone, they really had no loyalty to the cartel. 
So they started to go rogue, doing their own jobs, making their own money, and skirmishes between the two started to kick off. Now by 2010, the Gulf Cartel was firmly in the hands of Osiel's brother, Antonio Cardenas Guillen, but he was considered to be an unworthy successor. He was said to be obsessed with sex, gambling, and drugs, and Los Cetas weren't interested in following a man they deemed to be weak and ineffectual. This thing I find interesting, like there's some weird, um, it seems like it's a, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, hypocritical thing, where Los Cetas were like, the guy's a fucking drug addict. I'm not following a drug addict, and yet they can't, like all they do is traffic and make drugs. Yeah. I thought that was a hypocritical thing from them, but I found out that quite a lot of these drug pushers and cartels don't use their own shit. They don't sell. They don't. They don't use drugs. A lot of them. I mean, a, no. a lot evidently do, but for the most part, they don't because they understand I mean, what it is. There's the old saying: "Don't get high on your own supply." It just doesn't make business sense. One, you've got to sell it. So, what's the point of consuming it? Two, like if you end up getting addicted to it, you're less likely to be good at business. And like, you need to be clear mind to do this, especially if you're like breaking the law and going up against the US, which obviously they're pretty good at what they do. Um, mm. you, you wouldn't want to... And people, let's say, like, they're on... What is it? Cocaine they're shipping, did you say? Mostly, yeah. So if they're on cocaine, like, they're going to be pretty jittery, pretty sort of intense. They're going to make really shit decisions if they're high on cocaine. Like, yeah. really bad decisions. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are a lot of, like, people within the cartel that definitely are. But, like, I'm assuming a, quite a lot of the top dogs probably aren't because they're quite savvy, smart people. And also, so I watched a, um, a really interesting documentary by ABC uh, who went to actually sp- uh, meet and speak with a, one of these, like, smaller cartel leaders who was more than happy to have them on board. He was showing his fancy house, his cars, everything, right? Love and life. And... Um, they asked him, they said, do you not feel bad? Like, you know what you're selling to people. Like, do you not feel bad that you're potentially ruining lives? And he went, no. And they went, why? He went, well, because at the end of the day, everyone's free to do what they want. If they want to buy this shit, they can buy this shit. I'm only in business because they buy it. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of an interesting way of putting it. Like, he wouldn't be in business if people didn't buy this shit. Are we going to get onto the debate of whether drugs should be legal now or are we doing that later? Ah, we can do it later. We can do it later. I have a lot to say on this matter, but we'll save it. (laughs) Yeah. I just find it interesting that like they are like happy uh, to sell the shit and they don't necessarily use it themselves. I just find it interesting. They're in it for the money, not the drugs. Oh, absolutely. They're only in it for the money. And if the, one- if the money wasn't there, they wouldn't do it, I don't think. Anyway, we'll get on to it later. So, because they were not happy with this new leader, Los Cetas split from the Gulf Cartel completely. They completely declared their independence, immediately becoming a rival to the Gulf Cartel. Now, the Gulf Cartel, in an attempt to replace Los Cetas, promoted a small-time gang called Los Escorpiones, which means the Scorpions. That's now, cool. all it, it, it's quite a cool name. All it did was add fuel to the fire. An all-out war between the Gulf Cartel with their rabid dogs, Los Escorpiones, and the highly militarized, brutal, violent Losetas completely began. Like an all-out war between these guys. A lot of clashes happened in and around the border state of Tamaulipas, and in particular, a city called San Fernando. Now, this place is in the history books as suffering two of the largest massacres of the Mexican War on Drugs. In 2010, Police officials discovered 72 bodies piled up on top of one another in a ranch in San Fernando. 
Now, they were almost all undocumented immigrants looking to cross the border to the US for a better life. Unfortunately, they met with Losetas instead. Now, they intended to force them to work for them, but the majority of them refused, and instead they were massacred. 58 men and 14 women were found there. And in 2011, more mass graves were discovered, putting the total body count at 193. All of these undocumented immigrants just looking for a better life. These people were brutally tortured and murdered by Los Etas, but they didn't do all of it. There are stories that they had forced the men to fight one another to the death, with the winners being given the chance to join Los Etas. The thought behind that was if you were ruthless enough to kill these people in front of you, then you were ruthless, ruthless enough to join Los Etas and that, that you could be a Sicario for them. This is going to sound horrible because what they did was barbaric, but that makes logical sense. Like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand it. I understand it. It's like, you know, easy pickings to get someone that they know is a killer, you know. And at that point as well, they can bribe you and say, oh, listen, I know you killed people. Yeah. You know, it's tricky, De- man. Desperation does weird things to people. It really does. Like, it's awful, absolutely awful. Now, San Fernando is a city that is caught between multiple factions of the Gulf Cartel all fighting each other for control of the region, and it's the everyday citizens that are suffering. Regular people on their way to and from work are often kidnapped and ransomed for cash. It's an everyday risk now, and one that the people of San Fernando have just accepted. And this is the world that Miriam Rodriguez Martinez inhabits. This is the city that she lives in. This is where she's fucking walking around doing her shopping this is where she lives it's, i i can't it's hard man that's just not our world in any way shape or form it's it's <clears throat> it's scary we can't imagine it obviously i mean i live in birmingham so maybe but no i'm joking it's, it's not that bad at all <laughs> um sorry i was just laughing because i was remembering the podcast bros quote and it's half an hour and we've just gone to the title of the episode <laughs> but it's because we needed the background I, we do need the background i find it so uh, it's it's so neat. Like, background is so important to set up where we are. This is so, I mean, this is it, isn't it? Like some episodes, we can go straight in with the person, and you know where they live in the time. But okay, you do need a setting for some people because it contextualizes who they are and why they have to go about what they're about to do. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, part of the reason why as well is like I don't have like an early doors for this person. Like this person, in terms of their story, is very compact. And what I wanted to do was like to try and try and sort of like give us all more of a sense of the world that they're inhabiting. Um, like then we can understand, you know, the story a bit more. Yeah, for sure. Everyone likes to hear about cartels. Now, born February the fifth, nineteen sixty, in San Fernando, Miriam was a hard-working woman who worked as a nanny for a family across the border in Texas. Meanwhile, her family living in San Fernando were going about their daily lives. In 2012, her daughter Karen was driving home from work. When she came upon traffic and was looking to merge lanes, she was set upon by a gang of men who broke into her car and drove her away. Fearing she would be killed, Karen complied with their demands. She led them to her home, but luckily nobody was in. Her siblings and father were out, and Miriam was still in Texas working. The armed men forced Karen to call her mum and tell her what had happened. They were from Los Etas, and they required a ransom. Unfortunately, Karen's uncle, who was a mechanic, came by the house to complete a job on the car and was also kidnapped. 
Sadly, this is an all too common thing in Mexico. According to a study by the Centro de Investigación y Docencia Económicas, or DICE, 13 people are straight up just disappeared every single day across Mexico. Like, 13. Might not seem like that big a number, but across the entirety of Mexico, 13 people every single day just straight up disappear. And I mean disappear. No one knows where they go. They just disappear. We don't know if they're killed. We don't know anything about them. They're just gone. No, that's it's, I think it's, worse because it's like, huge numbers. No idea. If someone goes missing in this country, you hear about it on the news for weeks. Yeah. Now, to give you even more of a sense of the normalcy of these crimes in certain areas of Mexico, when the gang demanded a ransom for the life of her daughter, Miriam paid straight away thousands of dollars. But Miriam doesn't have the money. Miriam gets a loan from the bank, a loan specifically for paying ransoms for kidnapped victims. What the fuck? That's how wild this place can be sometimes in certain areas of Mexico. The bank has managed to monetize the suffering of people. They give you specific loans to pay gangs that kidnap your families. I mean, the biggest gang in the world is the fucking bankers. Like, what assholes? I mean, I in some so way, awful. it is, isn't it? And in some way, I can understand what they're trying to do. Like, you know, go to the bank, they'll pay the, the gang, you can get your family member back. Yeah, but is, is but, there interest on this? I don't know. I've not looked that far into it, but I, 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 I would hope not. I because really would hope not. Kidnapping into a business, which that needs to be investigated. Yeah, but it, apparently it's very normal. You, like you get, like you know, you get insurance probably saying, "Oh, you protected against kidnappings as well." Like I don't know. That's mad. Yeah, because I suppose at the end of the day, like as well, kidnappings by the gangs is very, very common because that's how they try to fund their operations as well. So not only is it selling drugs, they also kidnap people, and then you get a ransom for it. They use the money to then continue to fund their operations. Um, so for the most part, they do actually let the people go. Uh, they just want the money. So just pay them, and chances but, are you will go. But then they know that people are going to come with the money because the yeah. banks are giving them the fucking money. So they know vicious, that it's easy. Vicious circle, isn't it? Vicious circle. For God's sakes. Now, Losetas took the money but never returned Karen. They did return her uncle, mainly because they actually had no real intention of taking him, but obviously he turned up the house whilst they were there, so they panicked and took him too. Instead, they demanded even more money, which Miriam always found. Every time they called, she found more money. She delivered bags full of cash to specific areas, leaving it there for the cartels. Now, you might be thinking that this is a fool's errand, but I can imagine that you would do anything to see the return of your child. By paying up, she at least has some hope that they'll release her. If she refuses to pay, she's all but signing her own daughter's death warrant. And that is that is the actual case. If she just said no, nah, then they would just take her head off and... And this is the thing, what what's she going to do, really? One, fight against the cartels, no. Two, go to the police, who are going to be like, yeah, and we've got like 20 other people in that room who are saying the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it, it's so unfortunate that this is sort of the life there. Um, now, one particularly horrible moment was when Miriam requested a meeting with Los Etas, which they agreed to. They sent one guy, and the conversation that she had with him was very difficult to have, since he was wearing a radio that was constantly blaring out chatter. But he promised her that for a fee of $2,000, he would help Karen escape. Now, Miriam paid again, but this guy was never heard from again. I mean, I'm, they're, they're criminals, they're cartel. Like, you can't yeah. 
It's, are, you it's surprised? Are. are you surprised? Are you surprised? And they. And to them, she's just a fucking ATM that just continuously comes out with money. So why are they going to stop that? Yeah, it's such a shame, isn't it? Eventually, the calls demanding money went quiet. And now that's a bad sign. Miriam knew that they couldn't demand money from someone if the person they kidnapped is already dead. Mm. So she had come to her own conclusion that Karen was likely gone. But something in her had changed. She wasn't going to take it lying down. When she thought back to her encounter with the cartel member with the radio, there was one thing that stuck in her mind. Over the static, she kept hearing this one word. This one word almost was a name. Sama. S-A-M-A. Assuming it was the name of the man that she met, she went on Karen's Facebook profile hoping to find someone with the same name to give her some kind of lead. Unfortunately, Karen is not a friend with anyone named Sama, so she looked on her tagged pictures. And in one of them, Karen is stood with an old friend and a man. The man is tagged as Sama. This could be him. Mm. Uh, I don't know how you'd feel as the mum, knowing that, like, your daughter knows this man who is part of the cartel that has killed your daughter. Yeah, I suppose as well, like, he knows where she lives. He knows the details, who to ring, who can get money, what the family does. Yeah. Now, Miriam didn't recognise the guy properly, but she did recognise the friend. She knew her vaguely. She knew that she worked at an ice cream store, but she couldn't just go straight up to her and ask about Sama. Word might get back to him. So instead, Miriam began to stake out the ice cream store where the girl worked. (laughs) And she waited. She waited. She was hoping that Sama would just slip up and show up at that place and she could then follow him. And Miriam staked that place out for so long that she knew off by heart the girl's work schedule. Mad. She knew every time when she's there, when she goes on her break, when she leaves, she knew her days off, she knew everything about this girl's work schedule. Now, her wow. stalking paid off. Sama showed up. Miriam followed them back to her home where Sama lived. Now, she knows where he lives... She knows who his friend is, but she didn't necessarily have enough evidence yet to go to the police. Like you said earlier, they're going to say, well, I've got 20 other people that have been kidnapped recently. You've really got to, you've got to give me more. Yeah. So she decided she was going to hang around the area and ask questions of his neighbours. But Sama knows what she looks like, remember? He's been to her house. So she went all Agent 47 and wore a disguise. Miriam dyed her hair red and wore an old uniform and a fake ID from her days working with the health ministry. And she went door to door asking questions about the local area, about the neighbours, and if anyone happened to know a guy called Sama. And eventually Miriam got enough evidence to confirm that it was indeed Sama. He is indeed part of the Los Cetas cartel and he was indeed likely involved in the kidnapping and possibly murder of her daughter. So, with all this evidence, she went to the police, and they didn't give a shit. Yeah. Now, there's likely a couple of reasons for this. The main one being that this kind of thing, as you said earlier, happens all the time, and it's not worth investigating. In fact, it happens so much that they likely don't have the resources to even look into it anymore. And Mexico's war on the cartels has been going on for years, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Which means this stuff's just going to carry on. Now, another reason might also be that they're either in the pay of the cartel and they're scared of them. 
Police are, are not paid that much, so it really isn't that hard to bribe them. Plus, investigating the cartels puts a target on your back, one that is not worth your meagre income to die for. And if politicians with bodyguards and armoured trucks can be got, you betcha regular old bobbies can get too. Yeah. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, luckily, Miriam found one officer who was brave enough to take on the case. He went to arrest Sammer, but word had already got back to him that he was a wanted man, so he fled. But Miriam wasn't disheartened by this. She knew that he was going to fuck up again and show up. She just had to play the waiting game. She's already done it before, she can damn well do it again. So, she waited, and it paid off. In 2014, two years after her daughter's death, Sammer happened to walk into a hat store that was owned by Miriam's own son. He called her and si- and they silently tailed Sammer until the police could get to him. Can you imagine that phone call? Like, especially Miriam's son just being like, oh my God, that's him. That's him. Yeah. And then just like having to like silently call your mum and not freak out and be like, mum, he's here. He's here. You need to come here now. Like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Tense. So she'd done it. She caught a man who was connected with the death of her daughter. And the best bit, Sama sang. He gave the authorities the names of others involved in the kidnapping and suspected death. Yeah, well, I think he was... I, I'm i going to assume that he's not involved in the sense that he possibly didn't kill her. And I think if he can just get, like... Let, I reckon he could possibly get let off on a lighter thing just to say, look, I, just ha- I, was, I was there, I was involved... But he's that also going matter. to die. He's going to die. That's the, rule, the rules of the fucking... T- it doesn't matter what country you're in. Anywhere in the world, you didn't see anything. You don't know who was involved. You, you were not there that evening. Yeah. I'm going to assume monk. the guy's oh, dead. Moron. Moron. <laughs> <laughs> now, the police rounded up these people that he'd named, but they were all tight-lipped because they know the rules of the game. One of the lads, though, looked to be very young. In fact, he was only just, he'd only just turned 18 which meant he would have been around 15 or 16 at the time of the murder. He looked scared and he looked hungry. So Miriam bought the lad a can of Coke from the vending machine and sat talking with him. The police were really confused by this action and her compassion, but she explained that she is a mother and he is someone's son and he's clearly scared. He's not a cold-blooded murderer. And it worked. He gave them the location of the site where Karen's body was left. Wow. This woman is incredible. She's better than the police. She is better than the police. Now, 
Karen was murdered and abandoned at a ranch on the outskirts of town. The place looked like a war zone, and that's because, it, until very recently, it was. A mass shootout meant that there was lots of rotting corpses strewn about the place. But near an old tractor, Miriam found a scarf that belonged to Karen, a cushion that she used for her car seat, and what was believed to be her femur. Her body could not be completely recovered due to the number of corpses around. Now, for the police, it's a job well done. They'd investigated, they'd arrested a couple of people, and they'd discovered the location and confirmation of the death of Karen Martinez. Case closed. But for Miriam, this isn't case closed. They'd confirmed Karen's murder, and they could lay her at rest at least, but she's far from done. There were more people involved in this, and they need to be brought to justice. (laughs) So, there were other names that were brought up, we know that. But for the most part, these are names that for the police seemed just out of reach. But for Miriam, nah, she's not going to let that deter her. Miriam set up a non-government funded group for families whose relatives had been kidnapped. In fact, this group would go off to help around 600 families that are involved in kidnappings. And all of these people had benefited from her work. Yeah. But she wasn't safe. She had made fools of the cartel and the Losetas weren't going to forget her. She often got death threats and prank phone calls to the house. At one point, they tried to kidnap her husband, but she got in her car and chased them herself and alerted the army who arrested them. <laughs> like, this, this woman, woman man. <laughs> she don't give a fuck about your cartel. She does not care. That's so... F- I respect it so much. I know. Now, in 2017, a prison breakout meant that a couple of the people involved in Karen's murder were released. Now, Miriam asked for protection since she was a high-risk target, and the state government said no, mainly claiming that all of those involved had recently been captured, so there was no danger. But that's not quite true. A couple of them had still got out, including one man named Enrique Flores, who was out and about looking to change his life. Miriam managed to track down his grandmother and spoke with her. Like, how cool is that? Like, you'd be like, right, Enrique Flores, I'm going to go speak to your nan and talk to her. <laughs> well, this is the thing. The second your nan tells you something, you, you fucking listen. So she's, yeah. done, she's done a good thing there. Yeah. Now, his grandmother knew that he had been involved in some criminal goings on in his youth, but she was so happy that he had turned to God and was attending church again that she was like, no, let it be, let it be, right? But Miriam, she's like, nah. Miriam done the thing that she done brilliant. She played the waiting game. She started attending the very church that Flores is said to be <laughs> attending. I love that this, this little old, like, this, she's not that old, I suppose, but like this, like, you know, little middle-aged red-haired woman just now starts showing up at this church. She's like, does anybody know her? And like, no, she just started showing up a couple of weeks ago. Like, and she's just sitting there quietly. She doesn't talk to no one. She's just waiting. Um, and he showed up naturally he showed up because he's a tr- he's trying to change he's a born again christian now you know he's trying to change yeah. things up and she full on she just full on confronted him in front of everyone at the congregation calling him out for his crime and then what pissed her off more was that one of the congregants of the church tried to defend him asking her to show mercy and compassion saying oh, he's a changed man he's he's found god like give him a break and miriam is quoted as saying where was his compassion when they killed my daughter? She didn't give shit. Like, no, Fuck that's you. it. I, I, I don't 
by these born again Christians. Like that doesn't absolve you from killing people yeah. and doing horrific things. Like people in prison, I found God. I couldn't give less of a shit. You still did what you did. Yeah, like the idea of Hitler after eating his sort of you know just before he pulled his pistol trigger or whatever just was like i accept you jesus and now he's just sitting on yeah. a cloud <laughs> it doesn't count for shit no, it, don't, i don't, don't count. care now flores was rearrested which is great um now on may the 10th 2017 mother's day in mexico miriam was limping to her front door having recently broken her foot while chasing a suspect oh miriam behind her a white nissan pulled up and it was being driven by members of the Los Etos cartel. Miriam was shot 12 times by the cowards who sped off, and they have not yet been caught to this day. She was discovered on the porch by her husband with her hand on her purse where she kept her pistol, and it's believed she was reaching that to protect herself. Like, she was going to go in a blaze of glory. She was ready for a fucking gunfight. Mate, she was going to pull that little pistol out, she was going to hold it sideways and go, fuck you! Yeah. Unfortunately, Miriam died on her way to the hospital, aged 57. Now, the governor of Tamaulipas said on Twitter that he would not let Miriam's murder become just another statistic, but the number of deaths continue to add up. Activists and allies of the group that Miriam set up now take courses in forensics, anthropology, archaeology and law in an attempt to help further victims who cannot rely on the support of their local emergency services. How cool is that? She's left a legacy. Oh, 100%. Today, the Gulf Cartel is a shadow of what it once was. It is now fractured into smaller groups, all looking to claim power in the area. For other big cartels like the Sinaloa or Tijuana, they see an opportunity to move into. Los Etas have since disbanded. Their military leaders that made them so fearsome are all but gone now, either arrested or dead, and the new generation of leaders don't have the same efficiency their predecessors had. Instead, a new cartel has sprung up in their place even more violent and depraved, called the Cartel Jalisco New Generation. There are lots of talks about what to do with cartels. Mexico has officially been at war with them since 2006, and with the support of American money, they've been trying to cut off the heads of these cartels. But the more heads they cut off, ever more gangs pop up looking to take their place. It's interesting, like, it's so difficult um, with these cartels. Uh, there, there was, a, like, uh, I watched a documentary asking, like, why are cartels so violent and ruthless and just disgusting in the way they display bodies and cut off heads and all this kind of shit? And it comes down to, at the end of the day, um, in terms of an arms race, there's really not that much they can do, but what they can do is scare the shit out of you. Um, mm, and They rule by fear. It's all fear. It's all fear tactics. And all they're trying to do is one-up each other to try and be more scary than the other and to try and intimidate them into not working anymore. Um, But then you get to a point where, you know, headless corpses are hung by their ankles from bridges covering roads. um, Just with signs saying, this this was Los Cetas, you better beware. And then everyone's just terrified. Um, And yeah, it's now at a point where killing people and dismembering them in horrific ways is just seen as normal for these gangs it's ah there's one there's one documentary i watched where uh he's like a sicario and he said killing a human is just like killing an animal it makes no difference and then they said do you not do you not 
doesn't you not feel anything at all and he said well it's a bit tricky when you have to kill like a, a family friend or you know an associate of yours but you know for the most part it's it's pretty easy a and bit like, tricky yeah a bit fucking tricky it's that's the way not he... the terminology <laughs> yeah it's just the way he was so nonchalant about it all and he was like Look, if it's a stranger it's really fucking easy but you know when it's someone like a family an old family friend or a family associate yeah that can be that can be uh yeah a little tricky <laughs> okay dude that's mad these people man it's i don't know i don't think we're gonna uh come to an answer about how to solve a fucking cartel problem well in this episode but my theory is right my completely uneducated theory is that like going to war with them is simply not going to work because all you're going to do is piss them off even more create martyrs and they're going to keep what you need to do is improve the infrastructure of the country and give people opportunities when they're younger so they don't have to turn to a life of crime well you my friend are literally segueing exactly into my next paragraph good it seems that there is no real way of stopping it, okay? But Mexico's president, Andres Manuel López Obrador, or AMLO as he's affectionately known, declared that the war on drugs was over and wanted to try a different approach. In the same vein as hug a hoodie, he wanted you to hug a cartel member with the slogan, hugs, not gunshots. He recognised that part of the problem was a lack of resources that made joining cartels more appealing. He called for better services and to fight corruption at the highest level of governance. While there seems to have been a small decline in intentional homicides in Mexico since his presidency began in 2018, 2019 was the bloodiest year of the war on drugs. Yikes. Overall, his plans to end the war on drugs is just a grand gesture, with the possible motive being to mark himself down as a major bookmark in the ongoing war. So, he seems to have you know recognized and understood that yes half the problem is that our infrastructure just does not support younger people to just grow and be okay but mm. they're poor and they have not a lot of prospects and they're joining cartels because this seems like a better option there was one young lad again another another documentary i watched where they sort of you know infiltrate and hang around with these cartels there's one young lad he's 13 he's 13 years old and that they get a chance to speak to this young lad on his own and they said um what do you want to do when you grow older like what do you want to be and he said i want to be a vet i really like animals i want to be a vet and this boy's holding an ak-47 and he's got a balaclava on his face and then they ask one of the older lads and said look he said he wants to be a vet do you think that's possible and he said no 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 he doesn't want to be a vet i think he'll be a really good sicario a hitman it's sad isn't it that these people have dreams but like yeah, that's why you need to get to these people when they're young because they're so impressionable and they'll just get bored. And once they've got you in their fold, it's so difficult to get out. So you just well, need that's... to stop them getting in there in the first place. This is a tricky thing as well, right? So there is um, a phrase that apparently used, which is los valientes, which means the brave ones. And there's there's a, like an entire um, music genre that is about cartels and the leaders of these cartels and they write music about them now a lot of this music is written with the permission of the cartels but it's it's songs that try and make them sound more valiant because a lot of these cartels what they do is they manipulate the local populace you've seen in you you've seen you so you see narcos right you know how they mm -hmm. absolutely adore pablo escobar 
that's yeah. what cartels try to emulate. They give a lot of money back into the local community to try and bribe them in a way. So they, they will try and build schools or they'll give them food. During the yeah. COVID pandemic, cartels effectively did more for local communities than their own government did. That is incredible to say. Like it, I should not be saying that. Cartels did more for their local communities than the government of Mexico did for their local communities by giving them food, water, shelter, looked after them, made sure they all wore masks. Like, that's legit as well. They made sure everyone wore masks. It's crazy. Isn't it? I think the same is true in um, some places in, like, Italy and North America as well with the with the mafia and organised mm. crime gangs. If They'll look after you as long as you look after them. Well, we saw a little bit of that in London in the 60s with the Cray Twins, where, like, EastEnders seem to have had this sort of thing in their head where they thought that life was better under the Crays than it was without them because the Crays looked after them. And you're like... Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I mean, where I... Or can't, not really where I grew up, but kind of where I grew up in Birmingham is it's still very much a gang city. Like, London's not so much anymore, but Birmingham still is. They're trying to push away from it, but loads of, like, the nightclubs are gang-owned and stuff. Like, I've been... My parents are going to ship themselves if they ever hear this. I've been in, like, a few nightclubs where suddenly another gang will just turn up and it it, it kicks off. And, like, yeah. it's fucking scary. But on the whole, like, I don't want to say well, I've met gang members, but I've met some, and they're really nice people. Like, yeah. they're just really nice people. And, yeah. like, as long as you don't fuck them off, they're not going to fuck you off. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, it's a whole different world to... Mexico, because I get to go home at the end of the day, and I've, I've never been in fear of being kidnapped. But they're just people. Yeah, that's true. Now, you said about how like you're not sure we can solve this, and of course we can't. But there are talks of America declaring that all cartels are foreign terrorist organizations. Now, this would give America the ability to potentially invade Mexico to root out the cartels under their banner of the war on terrorism. It's the same thing that they use to go into like Afghanistan and whatnot. Yeah. To, you know, are we, we're allowed to invade because you have foreign terrorist organizations and you're not doing it yourself and it's it affects us so we can go in and invade and sort it out ourselves. Now, this this is a big thing, like... Very recently in Congress, they're calling for this. Lots of people saying we need to declare all cartels as foreign terrorist organizations and sort this once and for all. But there are a couple of issues with this. One is that technically cartels don't actually meet America's own definition of what foreign terrorist organizations are. Now, to be considered, among other things, an organization needs to threaten the security of the US, its people, and national security, which includes its national defence, foreign regu- foreign relations, and economic interests in the US. Now, cartels do not quite meet them all. Cartels don't damage economic interests with the US, since Mexico and America are uh, the two biggest trading partners with each other. Like, Mexico is America's second largest trading partner. Did you know, sorry, really interesting fact, Bud Light recently has been having a whole controversy, but I won't go into it, a Mexican beer is now the US's number one selling beer, Modelo. Really? Just because they don't want to drink Bud Light anymore? Just because they don't want to drink Bud Light anymore, which is a whole other thing. If you don't want to drink Bud Light because of what happened, you're a fucking idiot. But, um, actually, no, I can't, there's two sides to that story. That's a whole different thing. But yeah, Modelo (laughs) is um, the number one beer in the US now. I think it's like 220 billion a year or something like that. Wow, that's, that's crazy. It's a lot of money. Mm. 
Now, cartels also don't threaten foreign relations since America isn't going to stop working with Mexico anytime soon. And cartels have no interest in actually attacking the US or their citizens. However, uh, they did recently murder four US citizens in Mexico. Um, which obviously caused a lot of fucking arguments with America, uh, which is, again, what brought up a lot of this thing, saying, right, well, there you go, they're FTOs, make them foreign terrorist organizations straight away. Um, But to prove a point, the cartel that was involved in killing these handed over those that were responsible. They killed them and handed them over to the police and said, don't want nothing to do with the US, fuck it, there you go, these are the guys that killed them. They do not want the United States coming in. Now... But do, again, do America not learn? Like they probably would kind of win in Mexico, winning quotation marks, whatever that means. Like it would turn into guerrilla tactics. They yeah. tried it in Vietnam, didn't fucking work. They lost. Tried it in Iraq and Afghanistan. You don't never really won. Like the Taliban no. are always still there. And the, the second Taliban the US, are still here. The second the US left, the Taliban took over. Like the day after, yeah. you, you you'll never ever win ever. <laughs> Because it's mean, an idea. Well, it is, and that's it. It is an idea. And, well, it's not. It's not because it's not an ideology. Being part of a cartel is not an ideology. It is purely a business. And when whilst it continues to make money, someone will find a way of continuing to do it. Um, it's always going to happen. And if it won't be in Mexico, it'll be somewhere else. Yeah, it'll for happen sure. somewhere else. Someone else will just take up the trade somewhere else because they go, well, we can't do it in Mexico now. We'll do it here instead. Um, yeah, they, they they can't win it. They can't win it. It just goes underground and it moves on. Um, but the irony is that if the US were to declare the cartels as terrorists, they would likely do more damage to their foreign relations with Mexico, because obviously to invade Mexico in the hope of taking out these cartels would, one, suppose a distrust in Mexico's own ability to handle things, which Mm. there is a distrust in Mexico's ability to handle things, because even, um... AMLO, the president of Mexico, despite him saying, we need to root out, uh, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, <laughs> what did I say earlier? Oh, my Lord. Um, what an idiot. Oh, what a loser. Corruption. Ah, okay. Uh, despite him saying we need to root out corruption, um, literally one of the big stories about him at the moment is the fact that he's going to close down a um, a type of government that is like there to... Uh, do investigations on the government itself right okay that's us which kind of like you know the point is it's there to try and keep the government hold them to account and he's closing it because he's saying there's so much corruption in it i'm closing it i'm gonna start a new one and everyone's like right you're gonna start a new one who's gonna be involved in that and are you gonna have the say in it's just gonna be his own people right that's the thought so it's like right so you're actually quite corrupt anyway um so there are issues with you know mexico their higher-ups being paid off by cartels that's a known fact um but yes to for america to invade would suggest they don't have trust in mexico's ability to handle things it could also disrupt mexico's tourism industry which brings in a significant portion of gdp every year you don't fancy going to like cancun and a fucking b-52 jet flies over and bombs somewhere um that wouldn't be fun Plus, America itself wouldn't want to be seen doing trade with a state that harbors terrorist groups, so that would affect their own issues with trade. Um, So it's not going to happen. Overall, 
it's a fucked up situation that doesn't look like it's going to be resolved anytime soon. And I, for one, I'm just glad that we live in a country where this isn't a problem. Um, no, we have drugs and we just take them and get on with it. <laughs> well, now I suppose is the opportunity where we can talk about legalization of drugs, regulation right, okay. of drugs. I'm, this is I'm, your I'm moment. Glad, I'm, I'm glad we're on this because I've, I've sorted it, Mexico. I know how to solve your fucking problem. Because Scotland People... have tried it and the UK government says no. Right, people are going to roll their eyes at me when I say this, but I'm going to say it. Legalise all drugs. I'm not just talking weed, I'm, I'm talking everything. My theory is, right, so these cartels generate a lot of their money through drugs. If you completely remove that fucking business, put it into the hands of the government who can then regulate it, which will in turn make it safer and put billions into the economy, which mm. you could then fund healthcare, schools, everything... What the fuck are the cartels going to do? They're, they're out of money, so eventually people are going to be like, well, well, I don't want to stay here if there's no money. Sure, they'll start kidnapping people. Violence would probably rise for a little bit, but then the money would run out. Um, it would, I think it would sort of disintegrate. So that would go down. But also, like, drugs aren't a criminal problem. They never ha- It never has been and it never will be. It's just being criminalised by governments, by Nixon's war on drugs, because he needed a scapegoat to sort of win an election. That's just what politicians do stop treating it like a criminal problem and putting them in fucking prisons together where they can then discuss how to make more fucking gangs, how to sell more drugs, get the drugs into the fucking prisons. Give them help. Give them education, like mental health needs, like medicine. It's so mad. And I know what you're thinking, like, but if you legalise drugs, won't more people do drugs? My question to you, Ryan, if heroin was legalised tomorrow, are you going to go out and buy heroin? No. You know what heroin does. You're not going to do it. The people that want heroin are getting heroin regardless of whether it's legal or not. What's the fucking point? Give them clean drugs that they pay the government for. Give them clean needles and a safe place to do it. It makes no sense for them to be doing it in a fucking dusty alley and then to go into prison. It doesn't make sense. It's a drain on resources. At least help the economy with your drug habit. Now... You you mentioned about you mentioned heroin specifically. Now, whilst if we were to legalize all drugs, I imagine that you know things like party drugs, like your cocaine, marijuana, that kind of stuff, like uh, MDMA, that stuff, I imagine would have a market where you could pop into a shop, like it'd be you know like oh, your vape it stores. Would boom. Yeah, there would there would be like vape stores, MDMA store, weed stores. Like those would be on your high street, and people would go to them. But I can't imagine that the government would be like, ah, oh, but you're allowed a heroin store. I don't think anyone would go with that. That government no, not, would not allow that. Not which at means all, there would also be an underground market for that. Exactly, which is why you need to legalise everything and not just something. But, but in this instance, heroin is legalised, but you can't get it. What so what so it's legal to take but you can't sell it? So so what you're obviously in your in your scenario we legalise all drugs, and that includes heroin. However, the government is not going to like actively allow for a, a place to sell heroin they just won't i don't think they will which means no, they never would but they no. should no 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 even in this instance i don't think they ever could i think they could get on board with cocaine marijuana mdma if it's done properly all that kind of stuff i think they can get on board with that i don't think they could ever get on board with things like heroin because of the like the destructiveness of, of it like it's a dodgy drug and i don't think they'd ever regulate it to a point where it could be sold in a shop so that would that would be a drug that just disappears from the market completely and that would also be an underground market for gangs surely yeah a hundred percent but like 
people that want to do heroin are doing heroin. The rest of us know what it does to you and have no fucking intention of touching it because mm. we've been educated. So you pump all the money that you get from selling fucking heroin into educating kids about these drugs so they never have to touch it. They're going to do cocaine. They're going to do MDMA. Like, we're not stupid. Kids, when you get to uni, you go fucking crazy. Mm. Again, regulate that. And people are going to be thinking, but you're going to overdose. Not really. I doubt there's a single drug dealer in the country that if you go and ask for, like, a huge amount of cocaine, they're going to be like, I'm not going to sell that to you because you're going to overdose on that, aren't you? Mm. No one's going to do that. If you ask for a big amount, you're going to get the big amount. People at uni just pay for what they can afford. I'm saying uni is an example because that's kind of where all the drugs take place. Yeah, it's quite common. But, like, overdosing isn't regulated by the fucking drug dealers and therefore it's not going to be regulated by the shops. Like, Darwinism is going to come into it a lot, but that's a whole different argument. But, like... No, it's a good point. Like, I saw um, uh, a documentary about the cocaine trade in Australia and they follow one guy who's a a seller um, and he... (laughs) He actually, like, in front of the cameras, just crushed up some, like, Adderall, mixed it with some, like, flour or something to make it, like, give it this clumpy uh, look, right? Mixed it all up, and he went, look, you can't even tell the difference between that and cocaine. And that's what he sells, but he sells that to new buyers he doesn't know. Um, And you're like, This is where people are dying as well. That's why people die. Yeah, that's why yeah. people die. Whereas if it's regulated and it's done properly and you know that the stuff that you're getting is of a good quality, then yeah, okay, why not? Like, that makes sense. I'm, I'm like, This isn't just a crackpot theory as well. I remember listening to a podcast ages ago. I think it was like the ex-head of the Met Police who also believes that all drugs should be legalised. I know the guy you're talking about, yeah. What's what's the fucking point of like making it criminal? It's a billion pound business, billions yeah. that we're missing yeah. out on. Educate, 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 fucking educate. The NHS is dying. Put it into that. Yeah. It just, it, to me, it makes absolutely no sense. And I think the case in point is prohibition in America. They took away alcohol. What happened? Gangs went fucking crazy. People drank anyway because they were going to do it anyway, whether it was legal or not. Yeah. And what happens when they bought, um, they got rid of prohibition? The gangs were like, oh, fuck. Our source of income is gone. Yeah. Let's turn to drugs. Yeah. Get yeah, rid of no, drugs. Get rid of drugs. It, it, it makes no sense. I like. It's I'm like, sure that I'm sure there's genuine arguments against this, and I'd look, I'd look forward to people like telling me why it's stupid. But in my head, it just works. Yeah, yeah. I I think like looking at cigarettes now is a really good way of putting it. Like I I don't know, and I, I you know I'm quite ignorant to it. I suppose I'm not a smoker. I don't imagine there is an underground cigarette trade. You no, know what I mean, it's about tobacco is tobacco. Tobacco the underground is a cigarette trade, trade is when like you go on holiday and at duty free they let you bring back like two hundred. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. Yeah, yeah. Like there is no uh, cartel doing tobacco, you know, no. because that's a regulated product now that it's we a drug. can just get. You know, but who decides what drugs legal and what's not? There's more alcohol related deaths every year by a fuck ton than probably mm. any other drug. I would also point up with with that stat is tricky because. Obviously, at the end of the day, alcohol is legal and regulated. No, this is of course, and more people are doing it. More More people are doing it. When more people start to do drugs, when it becomes legalised, you might see more deaths if people are not aware and stupid about it. No, 100%. But I think it should be sort of rules sort of like around alcohol. Like, you can't just do drugs in the park. Like, that's wrong. Like... I know people do it now, they get a can out in the park, but like you shouldn't, that should be frowned upon. You should have safe spaces that you can go. Like, I always think like weed being l- illegal is so weird. 
Like, mm. it's so weird. Because why are you attacking a fucking kid who's just picked up 20 pounds worth of weed, is going to go back to his house, watch Netflix and eat snacks? What is he doing mm. that's going to bother anyone else? But you're mm. wasting your police resources on that. Well, to sort of maybe round us out there, uh, there's one journalist, she's Mexican, um, and she cannot live in Mexico because of her outspoken uh, views on government corruption when it comes to the cartels. She had something very big to say to anyone that buys from illegal, well, what buys illegally because they're all illegal. But she said to anyone who buys marijuana, anyone who buys cocaine off a guy on the street, you are directly funding these cartels and by extension you have blood on your hands yeah i would, um, I, would I think i'd agree yeah so take well, that away from them i'd love to look at the statistics i think it's like colorado is the one that comes to mind who's legalized marijuana california as to, well wasn't it yeah I, I'd, I'd love to see how much money they're raking in and how much criminality is like resulted like those statistics would be fascinating i'm sure yeah. there's problems to what i've said but in my head if you take away the business of the cartels and gangs how the fuck then do they make their money and how do they operate? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so there you are. That, I, I, that's been fascinating. I really enjoyed that. Maybe we could get someone on who can like talk to us about sort of about why what of... I've said is just stupid. But like, no, just someone me- who's like knows a bit more about it than us. I remember. I think I this whether this is true or not, I don't know. But I read years ago that Rick Nixon declared his war on drugs as well is because typically in the US at that time, black communities were the ones that were using drugs and he just wanted to incarcerate them. Huh. Well, Whether that's true or not, I don't know, but oh, it's something that feasibly would happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah I wouldn't be surprised if that were true. Because weed saying. never used to be illegal because everyone had a fucking... I'm not saying like it was like crack or anything. Like, it was weed that he really had a problem with. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what What's the fucking issue? It smells a bit... Amsterdam's got it right. Hmm. That takes on to sex work as well. Like We should all look at the Dutch and how they operate. They're doing a very good job. Yeah, the Dutch and Austria have a really good way of dealing with that kind of stuff. Um, right, well, there you are. That's the story of Miriam Rodriguez Martinez, the real-life Liam Neeson. <laughs> no, that was a fascinating episode. That I really enjoyed that. It was good. Good. No, I, it, was, it was fascinating to research and learn about that one. I've been seeing that for a while, and I was like, oh, I've got to talk about it. Um, so... I've realised how long we've got on for. This is, gr- this is great. Hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> if you're still here, if you enjoyed our chat about drugs, um, we our next episode is our birthday. It'd it is, be yeah. four years. Next episode is our four-year birthday. We are four years old, um, and we are celebrating, um, as I'm sure you've seen by now, uh, there was a trailer we put out a little while ago that was uh, created by my partner, Jenna, Um we got a chance to sit down with Terry Wade and talk about Jack the Ripper. We said we'd do it years ago uh, <laughs> and we finally got a chance to do it. And we're so excited to have you guys listen to that uh, uh, on the next episode. Um, also, though, just so you know <laughs> what's coming up, um, we will, for our fourth birthday, we will be launching a patreon uh i will uh we have a video that's going to be coming out explaining a bit more about it uh why sort of we're going into that world um and in the next episode we do talk about um how that sort of looks a little bit more um so yeah a bit more information will be coming up but just so you know where we're going that is what's happening for us it's a good episode Um, it is a good episode so yeah um 
you'll get to see a bit more about it soon. But I'm just excited that it's our fourth birthday. I it's cannot amazing. believe it. I don't know how we've made it this far, to be honest with you. We got through a pandemic. <laughs> I remember when the pandemic started, we were like, how the fuck do we do this? And if anything, it's easier. Oh, God, yeah, it's massively easier. It's been a been a revelation and we've just been going on and on and on. Um, so, yeah, here's to us. Well done. Happy four years. Uh, and I hope you guys have been enjoying it as well. Um, do make sure you follow us on all the socials, of course. Um, maybe wish us a happy birthday. It'd be really nice. It's our birthday on Sunday. Uh, Sunday. We're four years old. <laughs> We're four years old. Um, so, yeah, maybe wish us happy birthday and uh, maybe buy some merch to help us out. Or... <laughs> Join the Patreon. That'll be an amazing birthday present. Uh, you'll see the video going up soon explaining a bit more. And then maybe join us on Patreon uh, to wish us happy birthday. What a present that would be. It's like when you get a tenor in your, your card from like your mum. And you're like, oh, oh thanks, yeah. mum. And you let the tenor fall to the floor and you have to read the cards. But really, you yeah. Money. <laughs> yeah. You have to pretend you didn't see the tenor fall out. And you're like, oh, yeah. this is a really lovely card. There's a tenor there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What? what no way um but yeah so thank you very much for joining us um join us next week where we uh, have our little celebratory four-year special episode with terry wade uh, a ripperologist talking to us about jack the ripper uh, we're so excited for you guys to finally get to listen to it all and uh yeah we'll see you on the next one ta Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.